what's up all you animal heads welcome back to another thrilling episode of cinema animals nights the provocative podcast that dares to explore the obscure and answer the question why are there so many movies starring animals and are any of them any good cinema Yes, Pod Squad, we are back with another deep cut, the 1972 bank heist caper, The Doberman Gang. As always, we have our brave and honest co-host, Simon Barrett from Los Angeles. Hello. And Michael J. Lochran hailing from Philadelphia. They were the doggonest gang that a man could ever see. All of them were animals, just like you and me. You're, you're quoting the song that is... is uh, Notable because it was co-written by Alan Silvestri, who this was his first film that he composed. And he went on to do Back to the Future and Forrest Gump and the Avengers movies. Now, Dog Honest Gang Song or whatever it's called is kind of a garbage Disney song. But still, it was uh, the beginning of Alan Silvestri's career. And if anything, that's what makes this movie notable. They were the doggone gang that a man did ever see. All of them were animals just like you and me. A freedom to themselves to match them there were none. Famous both as man's best friend. Oh, number one. And we're talking about the song that plays over the montage of Doberman's training to rob a bank in the 1972 film, The Doberman Gang. Right. Which I'm actually is... going to argue that the movie is just a delivery system for the song, which plays throughout the entire movie. <laughs> yeah, it is. Blatantly. And this is a film that I'm going to argue is pad is runtime padded, like so many of these films are. But uh, we'll get sure to that. I mean, the, the film is great because, well, it, it has the um, that thing we don't see that much anymore, where it's like a, a movie theme song that's just exactly about the movie where the lyrics are just like verbatim <laughs> yeah, and then it also just has this really hokey like 70s uh, am radio that that weird 70s vibe that's like um it, it's like sad it's like a, it's like a gentle sadness mixed with a weird kind of joy yeah it's like pensive it's pensive looking out the window kind of music it's the mash theme song in a hospital waiting room perfect uh-huh. yes yeah. all right we got there <laughs> <laughs> when your day is done and you've no place to run, no place to go. When your bridges burn and you've no place to turn, where will you go? So, um, because if the listeners haven't caught on yet, the uh, the host is the person who picked the film. So I am hosting and I picked this film because, um, yeah. Uh, why did I pick this film? You, you told me that you had long wanted to watch the 1972 film, The Doberman Gang. Um, I, I don't think I said that. You did say that. You said you'd been looking forward to watching this for a long time, but maybe you meant like all week. I meant all week. I'd never okay. heard of it before. This is one of the... <laughs> As opposed to like 30 years. No, I, um, this is one of those movies, like I had, I had difficulty picking my movie because what happens is I start to try to pick one and then I, it, it quickly snowballs where I start discovering 
the huge uh, history of animal movies that I can't believe how many there are that are, and this one that was completely unknown, I think, to all three of us, right? Yeah, absolutely. I had, I had never heard of it. No. I still don't know a lot about this movie, and I have watched it. <laughs> but I, I, the listeners will be perhaps dismayed to know that we, in fact, pivoted from the uh, classic 1974, I believe, Saul Bass film, Phase 4, the Killer Ant movie, which is one of my personal favorites. Uh, Mika- that was Mikhail's pick, and then he discovered the Doberman Gang, I guess. That's yeah. what happened? Okay. That's, a classic, yeah. classic Mikhail reversal. <laughs> we spent we spent three and a half weeks talking about doing this episode on Phase Four, and then the last three days that uh, we watched the Doberman Gang. But I did I, I did think that this was like some childhood film that you'd like seen or heard of, and then realized was on. Uh, we watched this on Prime Video. It cost money, uh, and the transfer doesn't look great. That's my that's my tech report. That's true. Can, um, we, can we cover that really quick? Um, I paid two ninety nine. How much did you guys pay? Two ninety nine for for SD quality yeah sd being the only option and i i went over to mikhail's to watch this so i i I got it okay so you guys actually only paid like 150 whatever that is 149 149 that's right that's right for about 127 minutes so a little little less than uh one no what's the math on that one cent Per minute? Cent, no. How many? How many minutes? It's it's one. actually eighty-seven minutes. The film is eighty-seven. That's minutes. Uh, that's what I meant. Eighty-seven. All right, I'll do the math. You guys keep going. I'll, I'll knock out the. <laughs> okay. Numbers. All right. Yeah. Yeah. The, the this is I think our math segments are really a huge part of Cinemanals Nights. I've realized it's it's yeah. been an odd theme to the show, but uh, yeah, I guess I guess we get caught up on the minutia that other podcasts choose to ignore. Yeah, not a lot of film podcasts really explore the math side of films. Yeah, how much you're paying per minute to watch <laughs> The Doberman Gang on Amazon Prime in standard definition. It is, I mean, look, it's the kind of thing you think about. Uh, although I'll admit, you know, I mean, this film I mostly enjoyed, although I was disappointed by it. I should feel like we should announce here that we will be spoiling the ending to The Doberman Gang. Um, yes. So let me slow your roll there for a second. I do have a, trying to keep a, a bit of a structure to our episode. Sorry. So one quick plot, we can all give a quick plot review uh, and then give a quick review. This is not our actual final score, but just like a quick review. You want so, us to all do the plot, re- say what the plot of it is at the same time? time or should we do it at the same time? <laughs> I don't think listeners, um, I mean, we're trying to do better. That seems like it. No, we'll just go. Mike, you start. What's the plot of this movie? Do that 1972, again. Doberman Gang, two ninety nine Amazon. If you watch it with a friend, it's a dollar forty five and a half. I didn't 40. do the. I couldn't. <laughs> honestly, I tried to do the math to find out like the cost per minute, but I got, <laughs> I got frazzled. <laughs> um, uh, it's a movie about a, a bank robber in a turtleneck who has a heist that gets um it doesn't work out so he decides he if only he had robots to do it the robots don't get emotionally involved but then he decides he can use dobermans so he trains a group of dobermans to rob a bank uh successfully until um i guess what we think of as like the epilogue to the film i think that's pretty much sums it up simon do you want to go through the plot or you think mike did good the 1972 film, The Doberman Gang, is about a, a bank robber. It's a small gang of criminals. Uh, and they have a job goes wrong because they accidentally put the money in the wrong car's trunk. Car happens to have his trunk open, so they, they put the money in it. And, uh, and then they can't open the trunk because uh, the car was parked behind their getaway car. So no, not unreasonably, the leader of their gang, Eddie, decries the human factor 
and he's trying to find a way to make the perfect score, you know, one that takes humans out of the equation. And after witnessing a group of teens in a car junkyard being thwarted by a gang of Dobermans, he, uh, he finds a, uh, a dog trainer freshly out of the army, but the guy only works with German Shepherds. That's a huge part of this film that I'm sure we're going to get into. Um, but he's fine ultimately working with Dobermans, and he also, Eddie, has seduced a diner waitress, uh, who's also part of the gang now. And they spend a lot of time training these Dobermans, uh, and then there's sort of a, a double cross, and, and then sort of a triple cross, and then the movie ends really unsatisfyingly. There's one romantic double cross, and then there's one logistical double cross, is the way I would put it. I mean, you, I hmm. guess you could somewhat claim that the dogs double cross uh, Julie Parrish, whatever her, her she's the, the uh, G- G- server June. in the diner who joins the film. Yeah. I forget her character's name. Her name is June. June. Uh, I guess you could say that June somewhat double crosses the guys, the male members of the gang, minus the trainer who's literally just walks out of the film. Uh, like, like says like, I'm done now and walks out of the movie and does not return. Basically, Eddie is not a very nice leader of the gang. He treats his girlfriend badly and his employees badly. And there's a lot of evidence that he's planning on uh, double-crossing them. But so you you would think the ending that this movie's building to um, is that the trainer would train the Dobermans to do something like that would thwart the robbery or something um, or bring the money to him. But he just he just bails. He just bails on the movie. And then June kind of tries to do that. But then the dogs just run off with the money at the end. And that's the, the trainer bailing has something to do with the fact that a dog once saved his life. And so he says, now I'm going to return the favor. But it's not clear in the movie how he thinks leaving is returning the favor of a dog surviving. Uh, I'm going to say that I think it is clear. Because um, what he says is the dogs are now all in the bank. You can't kill them. I'm out. That's actually what he, that's actually what he's saying. But once the dogs are all okay. inside the bank, because remember, Eddie has threatened to murder the dogs once the job is if the trainer bails on the job and that's the main reason the trainer stays involved allegedly once okay, he finds out right. I missed once that. he finds I missed out that. that the trainer initially who's training these dobermans for bank robbery is told that they're starting a security company and he's training dogs to be kind of security dogs um and and eventually he figures out that the six doberman he's training with a group of absolute idiots uh are not starting a security company it's for a a no less implausible bank robbery when, when he when he walks into the the farmhouse that's been <laughs> turned into a recreation of the actual bank based on like little photographs he took yeah and then, blew, like, and then blew up <laughs> turned into a full-scale replica of the bank i love um, how they don't like show that part of the 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 process that's just just there one day i guess i would argue that the be trainer like i i understand that that like, in the logic of the film the trainer thinks the dogs are safe but like leaving the dogs to complete the bank robbery and then like be owned by a homicidal maniac doesn't seem to make the dogs any safer. Which in fact is- universe of the film. That's a fair point. In fact, it's confirmed by the fact that a dog is then killed. (laughs) Right. Correct. I mean- Well, the the song gives it away. The dog says, (laughs) the uh, the song says, one of them may die or something. And then one of them does die. It's actually pretty (laughs) shocking. So that a dog dies, breaking the laws, something, something, something. Yeah, laws. Some of them may die disobeying all the laws, but all the fault and guiltiness will slip right through their paws. That's like actually, um, if I could have an English corner minute here, that's actually like a textbook definition of um, foreshadowing is when the song 
says in the conditional tense that something might happen. That's like how you do it as a writer. Mm. <laughs> yeah, That's great. yeah, it's very direct. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so yeah. that was a, that was a great, I think, very thorough plot. Uh, a quick review. I mean, you kind of said it. G- famous film reviewer Gene Siskel reviewed this film in 1972, gave it three out of four stars, mm-hmm. liking it to a sort of canine Bonnie and Clyde in quality as well as content. But here's the best part. The film runs out of creative gas after the robbery and settles for a stupid ending. The robbery and its planning provide generous part. Well, okay. But that's, that's the thing. The movie just, it, it peters out and it ends in one of the reviews are the synopsis of the movie said, you know, getting the dogs to rob the bank is easy, but getting the money from them is going to be hard. So I was anticipating like a whole extra 20 or 30 minutes of them like chasing the dogs. Uh, I thought that's when the like the comedy and hijinks were going to kick in where they're just trying to get the money from the dogs and they realize they've achieved this this impossible task of getting a gang of Dobermans to rob a bank. But then they which is kind of what happens. They can't get the money from the dogs. It just doesn't prolong. It kind of wraps itself after so much. I mean, I don't know. Did they run out of money or like what, it, what it feels <laughs> it, it feels underfinanced. You know, with the Wikipedia page, which you were just reading from uh, for the listeners edification, cites the budget as cites the budget as one hundred thousand dollars. And that feels about right. Um, and yeah, and Siskel Siskel was right about this one. I, that is a good quote because he, he does nail it. He, like he nailed it. Yeah, It's pretty fun uh, uh, as long as you think something's happening and the movie's going somewhere and then it kind of doesn't pay that off i thought to my satisfaction but uh i i i noted during this and i think this is probably what the listeners are really eager to hear at this point there's not a tremendous amount of actual animal content in this film compared to human content the dogs are central it's clearly an animal movie uh it's, it's obviously cinema animals nights content but like they really isolate you know, for example, the training sequences, those sequences would be very hard to do as proper scenes with like dialogue where they're like, now I'm going to get the dog to do this. And you see the dog do it and you see like the process evolve. So instead they do them as those montages of just dogs running around doing limited things. And, you know, after the montage, the dogs know how to run up, rob a bank. It's a pretty thrifty way of getting all your dog content in mm. like a couple days of shooting um, and isolating the dogs really from the rest of the cast. The dogs, you know, to, you know, Mikhail made the point that this is a movie where the animals are probably the most like real animals. Right. And, but, you yeah, know, that's and- actually what I was, that's what I was thinking. So like the two things for me that always make these movies, well, two of the things that make all these movies impossible to watch are when like <laughs> filmmakers want to get animals to do things that animals don't ordinarily do. Like right. any, any animal movie with like magical content can be a real drag and then like anytime when humans have to interact with animals the movies tend to suck so i actually thought it was like a really savvy way to skirt those those um right two common uh, pitfalls you, you don't have the dobermans trying on different outfits you don't right. have them you know causing hijinks in in, in the house for the annoyed they don't like order a, a white wine spritzer at a restaurant all right, these things right, that right. you know it's so tempting i can imagine if you're making an animal film that like that's what you'd want to do but i, I actually thought it really stuck with what was was going to be feasible the animal trainer was named carl miller he spent 13 weeks training seven doberman pinchers so one of them was a stunt doberman the one of the things that's weird is in the movie there's six dobermans but at the end 
there's only I was confused about the numbers the whole movie. Only five return. Well, four return because one gets hit by a car. And, and, and one gets hit by a car and dies, and the and one of the Dobermans takes the dead dog's money and runs on with it. Which is because um, that's all that matters. That's all that matters in the world of the Doberman gang. <laughs> you know, this is a film I, I wanted to say I'd, I'd heard the title of this film, but I always thought it was like Doberman Cop, that Sonny Chiba movie or uh, the like French movie Doberman. I also thought it was like a crime movie. I didn't know it was actually about dogs and I didn't know that it had spawned an entire series. Um, you know, it, it spawned, right. And I, I saw that it has, it, don't, it doesn't only have a sequel. It has like, it four. Has like four or five yeah, it was just a huge success, and and you know the director really <laughs> didn't do much other than these films. He was a he was associate producer on one of the better series of the '80s, Sledgehammer. He mostly worked as an editor. He has a bunch of editing credits, but you know it was really just these Doberman gang movies. You know, I, I noted uh, this film was made by Warner Brothers, and it was released theatrically, uh, where I guess it made five million at the box office, which is a pretty big return pretty, for a movie yeah. this cheap. Um, but I'm guessing this is a movie that really was designed for TV broadcast. Um, and, and the sequels feel like mm. they must've been the same. And I noticed, um, well, I noticed CBS is, you know, uh, is listed as one of the like distribution companies. And I just imagine that these were movies that were really kind of, cause it's rated G allegedly, although it's, it's quite violent and so on. It, it feels very- That's shocking to me that it's rated G. Well, I, I, I found somewhere it said that it was, it was originally rated PG, then it was edited and re-rated. So it was rated PG in 1972, and then it was re-edited and then re-rated for G in 1973. It still doesn't make any sense, but... I wonder if we saw the uncut version, because, I mean, there's some really bloody stuff with the dogs, <laughs> with the dogs mauling people uh, at yeah. various points, especially in the climax of the film, where, the, you know, the where June has them turn on the other uh, male members of the gang who were going to double-cross her. Uh, who weren't going to give her any money uh, out of sexism, which the film kind of makes an interesting point of. But like, yeah. you know, and, and so you, you feel good about watching the dogs maul those guys, but at the same time, it's pretty bloody. Um, so definitely not a movie that would even get a PG now. This would be, I'm going to say it, PG-13. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Well, and anyway, this was followed by The Daring Dobermans, 1973, The Amazing Dobermans, 1976, and Alex and the Doberman Gang, 1980 it does sound like at that point they were really scraping the bottom of the barrel that one doesn't even have a wikipedia page um and uh mike can you name the the sixth doberman and uh and seventh uh ancillary dog in this film uh i can name ma barker pretty boy floyd babyface nelson clyde and dillinger that's one two three four that's only five though i didn't get a sixth wow i can't believe this uh wow. listeners this is a really telling moment that mike would leave out bonnie clyde's partner uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, and who is the really and, and there's another there's another kind of uh, member of the gang uh, who they claim uh, I, now I guess the movie tells us eventually that these Dobermans were stolen um, by the members of the, the by the bank robbers for training and but at the time they just show up with six Dobermen and they claim uh, if, you, if you buy enough they throw in another dog for free so there's a bulldog <laughs> named uh, J. Edgar Hoover the so representation they... of pet stores is hilarious in this movie because oh, earlier in the, the movie when the, the main character goes to the pet store, it's incredible. He seems like he has no idea about like what any animal is. Like he has no <laughs> idea how any of it works. And he's just like, I'm looking for a dog. And then the owner has to like show him pictures of dogs. And he's like, oh yeah, it's a Doberman. That's what I want. But then it just seems like he's an alien who like has no sense of what animals are or what's going to happen. What kind were they? 
dogs. Mean, scary. Very, very smart. That's it. That's the one. Oh, it's a Doberman. It's a Doberman Pinscher. Are you looking to buy? But the main thing that I, I loved about that scene was the actual pets in the background. Did you notice the pets? There is a monkey behind them, right? It's, is that two, it it's two monkeys in two monkeys. Uh, what appear to be basically goldfish like tanks uh, and a toucan. <laughs> so uh, I don't know if that's like, uh, Mikhail and I had a long moment of wondering if that was really what you could get in pet stores in Los Angeles in 1972. Um, and I think it's plausible, but I also think maybe the movie was just trying to be fun. This is also takes place on Simi Valley, which is kind of like a little bit like country. Yeah, if you were uh, if you were going to go get a monkey and you lived in Los Angeles, you'd drive up to Simi Valley. Right. If I was going to buy a monkey or a toucan, I'd go to Simi Valley. Simi Valley gets like described with one of my like its uh, relative desolation gets described in one of my favorite lines. There's a lot of very great dialogue in this movie. Like excellent um, dialogue. Not, yes. not dialogue that I would say is good, but like <laughs> unique and has a voice. Yes. Um, uh, when the main character is describing like why it's going to be an easy bank to rob. Uh, he's saying there's only he keeps saying there's only one and a half cops on mm -hmm. duty and i don't know if that gets explained maybe it does but he then says um that bank hasn't even been breathed on since 1963. there is and, good dialogue uh, i i was convinced watching this that the writers were kind of trying to do something like a richard stark's uh parker series which was you know like that led to the film uh Point Blank uh, with Lee Marvin and, and a, a couple of good adaptations, which was later remade actually with Mel Gibson as Payback. But, um, you know, it, it's they're very similar. It's like a guy with just like a group of kind of working class bank robbers who goes from town to town planning weird heists. Um, those books were very popular at the time. Their author was actually named uh, Donald E. Westlake, uh, writing, he wrote some under the Stark pen name. And I, that it feels to me like they're trying to do that kind of hard-boiled dialogue, which I, I really enjoy. For the most part, it does work. I like, there's a moment where uh, the trainer says like, you know, she's like, dogs bite you? He goes, till they find out. And she goes, find out what? And he says, that they love me. Uh, they refer to somebody as a clean-collared American boy. That's a, that's a nice line. That's um, the referred to the trainer who looks trainer. like he's like at least 40, but. Yeah, we right. spent a lot of time wondering the, at the ages of the characters in this. Yeah, and then they keep um, in a way that demonstrates that they thought this was a really great, uh, like clever euphemism. They keep um, they love to call money bread. Mm, yeah, <laughs> over and over and over again, uh, they they talk about bread, which I liked. So this this is not like a Disney production, but it does feel like one. Um, it feels like they're riffing on that. We were talking about the barefoot executive, uh, Kurt Russell's movie, and how Walt Disney's last words were Kurt Russell. Um, and, that, and that blew my mind that I thought Simon was joking, but he wasn't. I'm not. <laughs> and <laughs> and um, you look it up, but uh, it's 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 a it's fun trivia. But um, yeah, I like I do think this was trying to get in on a kind of fad of films. This was you know, this was kind of the lost Disney era, you know, like the 70s and 80s before they rebranded and uh, took over our culture. Um, but, and oh, good. Just the movie, it just yeah, it does feel like a Disney movie, but it also doesn't because it's its tone is just so you know, some of it's goofy, uh, and then some of it's you know, June is like pretty looks looking pretty sexy for a kids' movie. Um, well, there's there's sex scenes in the movie, oh, um, yeah, that, that too, yeah. yeah. I mean, we do see them like we see her and Eddie have sex, uh, you know, it's it's chastely photographed, but you know, they're 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 going at it.
and you know, yeah, you're right. I mean, it's, it's, it, it, I guess that's what I was, it, it feels like someone was trying to do a kid-friendly movie, but I can't imagine kids enjoying this film. It, it, it like so many Cinemanos films. Uh, it well, it, it reminds me of another, you know, my uh, very obscure film that I made, Husky, was also shot in Simi Valley. Mm, and really. also uh, also suffered a similar problem where no one could figure out the tone. <laughs> true, true. But yeah, I mean, and, and a lot of these movies, we do end up kind of wondering, you know, the, the, the giant question of who is this movie for yeah. uh, hang, looms heavily over Cinema Animals Nights. But in this case, it, you know, it, it clearly found an audience, I, again, I suspect on television and, and, and kind of video, as like a movie that parents thought would be kind of a, a more kid friendly than it is, but maybe themselves found watchable. Which is maybe um, why they, I think you're right. They probably re-edited it and probably we saw the original PG version had to be because there's no way this movie is, would get a G. I thought for sure that like it was made for us. Like <laughs> I, I loved watching this movie. I, uh, I really loved it. And I was like, oh yeah, this movie, of course, Mikkel found it. And of course it's great and it's funny and it's weird. And of course the ending is the ending of a totally different film. It's sort of like patched on, which felt yeah. to me like very pleasing and nice. I loved it. I did love it too. Um, I wanted to talk a little about Dobermans. Cause there, well, there's a line where they say Dobermans were the real killers in Germany. Yes. Which yes. is because they, in fact, they were used in World War II uh, as like attack dogs. So, that... yeah, a lot of people don't know that most of the important battles were just between Dobermans and German Shepherds. <laughs> most, in World War II. most of World War II is just dogs fighting. <laughs> yeah. um, I don't know. I hope that's not problematic. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I was it testing it as I went. I think you can say that. I think that's fine. <laughs> it's, a yeah. it's a dog joke, mostly. Um, <laughs> what was interesting about Dobermans there is, is the way they're, it's just weird to me that it's in the Wikipedia, it says they were originally developed around 1890 by Lewis Doberman. And just the idea that a dog, dogs are like these like Frankenstein creatures that, that are, or like they're like strains of weed that just get like, you can kind of combine different traits of different dogs to create uh, a, a new kind of dog and that Dobermans were created to be, you know, intelligent, aggressive, stubborn, loyal uh, guard dogs. Yeah. This movie certainly posits the notion that Dobermans are not to be trusted. Uh, many, many times it's... trainer, AKA Barney says they can turn on you. Um, they're, they're presented as an inherently kind of homicidal and uh, crazy dog. And I have no idea if that's true. I've never had one. I'm willing to believe it. Well, I, I was like, I was hoping to do some research or find some research, which I didn't, but like Dobermans definitely went through, a, they were like really stereotyped, I feel like. Maybe is, mm -hmm. is the dog in, in oh, the animal trainer, Carl Miller, did train in Co, Cujo. Is the really? dog in Cujo uh, a Doberman? Not in the movie. No, okay. um, I, I don't I don't remember the book well enough, but not in the film. In the film, he's no. kind of like a mastiff, uh, you know, like more more like a St. Bernard looking uh, uh, mastiff okay. dog. And I think in the novel as well. I met one, my friend uh, in elementary school, and then Doberman was really scary. And my friend referred to his parents by their first names. And I always connected those two <laughs> facts in my in my head. Mm. There was like two <laughs> kind of weird, almost perverted facts about visiting him. The production was interesting when I looked up who wrote this, like the Louis Garfinkel, 
one of the st- writers did wrote Deer Hunter. The other writer was someone kind of good too, right? It was he was a playwright, uh, he, Frank Frank Ray Pirelli. Yeah, and he wrote Alligator. He wrote another animal yeah. movie with, with oh, John with, with John Sales. Yeah. yeah, I went down a rabbit hole. Like lots of really the the main actor Byron Mabe directed a movie called The Acid Eaters about a group of office workers who mm-hmm. go every Friday afternoon to the White Pyramid, a 50-foot tower of LSD. I had no idea that was the same. See, I, I, yeah, I had <laughs> no wild. idea. I had and no other, idea that was the same two guy. Two of the other, like, this one of those space movies thing. where a lot of the actors have cool names. So um, Simi Bo is one of them. Dead. And the other one is, all, oh, he's dead. Okay. All, the, all is, the actors um, are dead. All the actors are dead. Let's just be honest, straight up honest about that right now. All these so, actors yeah. are currently dead. Jojo Amor? He's dead. He's dead. Okay, and which one of them is the dead ringer for Kurt Vonnegut? Um, yeah. I, we might have to release this as a bonus episode because I, I, like, I, Mikhail just blew my mind with the revelation that Byron Mabe, the star of this film, who plays Eddie, the leader of like the gang, is the same guy who directed She Freak, uh, the Bushwhacker, <laughs> like a bunch yeah. of like exploitation films from the '60s and '70s that I have that I've seen and like studied. Oh wow! Uh, I had no idea that he was. So he he directed under the name B. Ron Elliott. Um, and so I never put that together that it's, he, he directed a smell of honey, a swallow of brine, which is like a classic, like something weird, trash, like classic. Like movie. So <laughs> and, and I she like- freak, she freak. I just watched she freak like a week ago, the 1967 I- film, she freak. So that's completely I like how if weird. You learn something, I like how if you learn something during an episode, it has to be a bonus episode. <laughs> it has to be a bonus episode because I wasn't properly prepared. My re- I didn't do research this week. I, I handed it all over to Macau and I regret that. This is what. We, I swore that on Cinema Animal Nights, I'd do the research, but it was a rough week. It was a rough. I, I, also, by the way, Hal Reed, who's the uh, dog trainer, who plays the dog trainer in the film, is not an actual dog trainer. Simon had a theory that he was not a real actor, that he was just a dog trainer who they decided to have act. But in fact, he was a real actor. Real actor. I, was just, I was just going with that theory because that was the case with Wild Beasts. And it's a I good was, theory. I, I, no, I was a, I was developing a conspiracy, but it's a very good theory. Not accurate, but yeah. you know when you watch uh, Doctor Rip Burner and Wild Beasts and and Trainer, aka Barney, but they just call him Trainer, and uh, the Doberman Gang, it, it does feel like the latter is a more sure-footed thespian, and at least he also looks like he should be on screen. Although when he talks, it doesn't quite come across with the same confidence always. Mike, you mentioned the lead actor. Whereas a robs a bank in a turtleneck, which I mm-hmm. thought was a really good. He also gets has another great shirt that he wears later, where it's, it's like, like some beads or stars around the collar. Yeah, yeah, it's like a low co- low, low collar, uh, baby blue shirt with little white dots around the collar. Very yeah, very very stylish. I liked. I was thinking a lot about how the turtleneck is coded in most movies as uh, like a sign of intelligence and or like a dastardly intelligence, a villainous intelligence. All oh, right, um, good point. Uh, yeah, like it seems like a lot's being communicated with the guy's clothes. And then like in a lot of scenes, he's just like in bed with his pants and belt on, but no shirt. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't sure what that was communicating, but I, it seemed like I was supposed to notice that. That guy definitely seems like he was having a great life in the 60s and 70s. You yes. Know, direct, yes. Directing these weird films about acid and, and just, he yeah. seemed like he was, he wasn't like, well, you know, in the memories of, of of media he's not like remembered but he seemed like he was probably really exciting at the time he has a ton of tv credits as an actor he's on manix mm-hmm. and bonanza you know it looks like he he did a you know a couple episodes on every series of the time 
So I can see why they would have thought he would be an interesting person to cast as the lead in the Doberman Gang. And he is good. I mean, he's great in the yeah, Doberman Gang. The, the entire cast, I would say, uh, my comments about Trainer aside, um, it's 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 good acting for one of these movies. Uh, it's good dialogue. It's good acting. The direction feels confident. It's just, you know, it doesn't feel like they quite had the resources to pull off like a full movie. Um, with And also the major flaw that this film has, uh, and I'm, I'm just going to say it, guys, it's a movie that takes itself quite seriously and seems to mostly be for adults, but with a central conceit of dogs robbing a bank by themselves, that's very like ludicrously implausible that the film treats comedically, <laughs> but not quite comedically enough, I feel like, or maybe too comedically. I don't know. It feels I don't like even, it's a I kid's don't... movie premise and kind of like an adult thriller. It doesn't really treat it comedically though i mean you're you're right like in in a i mean and there were whispers that you know a couple companies did have the rights to this film and they're going to remake it but as of you know there's been that's not happening as far I as saw I, I saw that i saw that there was like some in 2010 someone was right. trying to do a remake including uh including the dog whisperer cesar milan right cesar milan i think was involved <laughs> yeah. in trying to put that together yeah yeah, yeah. Um, um so you know quick little dog fat there i loved the actual high sequence so much i thought it was like really crisp and lovely and and the only thing i was wondering leading up to it was well, like how are the dogs going to get into the bank because I, yeah. I assumed they could push the door open, but I was like, all right, I want to see how the director handles this because they're going to have to have, but then sure enough, like there's a plan for that. And June is going to yeah. open the door when she makes a deposit and leaves. And, and, and after that, I was, I was really satisfied. And part of me was like, this is possible. Dobermans could rob a bank. The Doberman Gang. Six Doberman pinches trained to commit the most incredible caper ever conceived. The Doberman Gang. Six savage Dobies with a thirst for cold cash that leaves banks bone dry. The Doberman Gang. Bonnie and Clyde. Babyface Nelson. Ma Barker. Pretty Boy Floyd. John Dillinger. They ain't in it for the dog biscuit. High tailing it to their hideout. Who says you can't teach a new dog old tricks? <laughs> Clockwork canines. Trained to rip off banks with mechanical precision and rip up anybody who gets in their way. See the Doberman Gang bite the long arm of the law. The Doberman Gang. Exciting family entertainment. Rated PG. I wanted to go back a second. Mike, oh, you're talking about the coded language of a turtleneck. Mm -hmm. uh, the coded language of female dogs are fluffy and white. There's the scene when the yeah. Dobermans are, are running back after they're, they're on a high. They've successfully robbed the bank. They're feeling good. And one of the Dobermans sees, uh, I presumably a female dog because it's fluffy and white. And before running home, thinks, oh, I'm going to go capitalize on, on, on this success and go. It's not shown explicitly, but it's very much inferred yeah. that he decides to have sex with this random dog before. Uh, yeah <laughs> that's excellent excellent close reading i would only add to that that the you really know it's a female dog because like she's literally tethered to the house like the dobermans are running mm. free and they've just like they're high <laughs> on their own adrenaline and then they pass the white fluffy dog who is like actually like chained in the backyard of a domestic situation <laughs> right right um just to go back to the both like the final scene i wanted to ask you guys if i thought the final scene really reminded me of alazar balthazar um, and like the the, um, oh. the sadness of like the solitary animal alone on a hill. In this case, mm. like a group of dogs as the camera zooms out. But it made me think, like 
one thing I really liked about this movie was, as Simon was saying, how much of the work of the narrative is gets done without dialogue. Yeah. So like I watched this one in three chunks, which is going to be my new solution for getting through these movies. So I, I watched it like a half hour time. And in the first half hour, there's hardly any dialogue. Like almost all the work is done visually, which um, mm. also helps because in these movies, like the acting and the writing tend to be the worst <laughs> parts. Um, so between like the action that isn't um, in dialogue and this, like the montages of the dogs running, that gets you, there's probably 40 minutes of this movie where no one's talking, mm. which is great for me. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, uh, do you want to do scene squealers, lads? Yes, yes, we definitely, definitely do. And um, I want to start because I don't want anyone else to say it. My favorite part, which is a clip of dialogue that I think we need to rip and it's going to be like the, uh, the motto for Cinema Animals. What's the matter, Eddie? Nothing, I'm just thinking. About what? Animals. Oh, I like animals. Better than some people. Animals give you a lot of love and not ask anything in return. I couldn't. I love that. I could relate really to good. that so much. That's like, <laughs> yeah. That's like literally every night. Nothing, I'm just thinking. About what? Animals. I could really yeah. relate to Eddie in that moment. He doesn't look happy. <laughs> He doesn't look sad. He's just thinking really intently. And, yeah. and I just want to like emphasize the whole premise of the movie is like, we need something better than humans, like robots. <laughs> and when, when he can't seem to secure robots, he goes to number two on the list after robots, which yep. is obviously Doberman <laughs> Pinchers. <laughs> such a, it's such a, but it's not played to be funny. I was going to say like a mm -hmm. modern movie, that would be played for humor like somehow. no it's the film like the film <laughs> totally and sincerely inhabits that premise yeah. in and, a way and, that's really pleasing and that is the weird uniqueness of this film that i was kind of getting at earlier is it is a fairly straightforward movie with a ludicrous premise yeah um that it that like you know some of these films kind of do that and achieve a heightened tone this movie keeps its tone ground level uh and you're left kind of but you know the what that results in is you know at least in my case uh I was not fully convinced that Dobermans could rob a bank. I mean, it's how you get magical realism instead of fantasy. So like you make the world exactly as we understand it to be, but you change one thing. So like, this is a film where like the rules of our known world apply 99.9% .9 of the time, except that Dobermans are gonna rob a bank. Everything else is totally normal. Right. There's the other part of the film where when they're robbing the bank, I thought you were gonna say this earlier, Simon, the tension, when the dog has the note in its mouth. Oh yeah, and she doesn't wanna whole... take it. The whole bank robbery rests upon her taking the note from the dog's mouth. If that doesn't happen, the whole thing just doesn't work. Which the yeah. movie knows no one would want to do. So it has her like boss basically say like, I, I think you better take the note, surely. <laughs> uh, like, I think he wants you to take the note from his mouth. Or like he has some line of dialogue that like directly prompts that action because the movie understands that if you saw a growling Doberman with something in its mouth, you would not go for its teeth. Uh, I'll do a scene squealer. I mentioned, uh, Mikhail and I both mentioned how much we like the, the montages, the slow-mo sort of dog running scenes. I think it's the first montage, the first training montage. Um, there's a, the, the theme song is playing at the beginning of it that, that we all love, but I, something happens that I've never seen, or in this case heard in a movie before, which is at, at one moment in the montage, um, they just start playing a second song simultaneously with the first one. 
So that there's yeah. like the beautiful 70s soft rock happening. And then there's also, I, I, I didn't take enough notes on it, but there's like also this second more aggressive like marching band song that comes on, but you can hear both songs at one time. Yeah. Uh, and I, I never, you know, I go to the movies to see things I've never seen before. What's your scene squealer, Simon? There's a wonderful moment where a guy with a beard kind of walks into the bank and there's a Doberman sitting right in front of him and he just turns and walks out of the bank. Yeah, and <laughs> I, I and and never to be seen again. Like he doesn't go call the cops. He just he just walks mm -hmm. in the bank. There's a dog and he just turns and walks right out and shuts the door behind him. And I thought that was uh, not only pretty funny, but like I was glad that they bothered to kind of show because I was like, okay, well, a lot of people were coming to the bank and like letting the dogs in. Now it now it seems like people have stopped coming to the bank. That feels a little convenient. Nope. Sure enough, someone comes in the bank, sees what's going on, turns and walks right out. <laughs> and, uh, and it has no bearing whatsoever on the plot. And I thought it was uh, pretty well done uh, overall. So that was my scene squealer. That's a good one. A good tidbit was that I guess you can kill Dobermans by strangling them. Not true. Not true. I don't know what he's uh, going for there. I uh, think they just wanted them all to have those cool collars. Yeah, he, yeah. Says, the only way, he says the only way to take down a Doberman, you got to go for its throat. Uh, if you really think about where a Doberman's throat is, it's right underneath its teeth. Um, I'm not saying like, I don't know what I would, I, I'm not like one of these like, you know, internet, like, like internet martial arts guys who like, you know, is going to tell you like the five ways to kill a Doberman with like a fork. I don't know what you do if a Doberman is attacking you, but I, I feel like trying to strangle it <laughs> is just definitely not going to work because it's going to start biting your face and you're going to have to come up with a new plan. <laughs> when you started that sentence, Simon, you, I thought you were going to reveal that a Doberman's throat was somewhere really surprising, like in its butt <laughs> or like in its ankle. No, no, it's in the usual place. But I mean, again, like, like you know, the relationship to the mouth is one that I think, you know, they, they didn't fully think about in that scenario. Yeah, I don't know. That's that. I'm glad you mentioned that, Mikhail, because I, I what I thought that moment was, was trainer says there's only one way to take it down a Doberman. You got to go for their throat. And I thought he was setting something up where Eddie was going to try to take down a Doberman that way and get his ass kicked and realize that trainer had lied to him. And it was part of like trainer double crossing him for the original yeah. double cross. Instead, as stated before, trainer leaves the film completely and that, that scene is left in its entirety. But I actually wonder if in an earlier, I, I, my, my screenwriter brain wants to believe that there was an earlier draft of this film that had a more satisfying series of double crosses at the end. And as the film went into production, they realized they were not going to be able to afford any of that stuff and had to rapidly downscale uh, the nature of the narrative, which is uh, something that I've experienced in my own work. Um, it happens pretty, <laughs> happens pretty commonly in, in low budget productions, you know, even, you know, even big budget productions, I would actually say for that matter. Um, but, you know, I, I want to believe that this was just like downsized during prep, basically, in which case that line makes more sense, because I don't know otherwise what he's going for. I mean, to me, it would seem like the only way to really take down a Doberman would be to shoot it. I have heard allegedly that you know what you're supposed to do is put your forearm up with the arteries kind of facing inward. The dog will clamp on to what you put in front of it, which will be your arm. Ideally, you know it won't break both the radius and ulna, so you can kind of keep holding on. And then the idea is to wrap your arm or your other arm around its back and bring your arms in opposite directions to try to wrench the dog's spine. That I've been told, but I picture I picture trying to do that to a big thrashing crazy dog, and it makes me just like you just want to laugh. It's like, there's no way that would work in a million yeah. years. Dogs yeah. are so flexible and thrashing and crazy. I think, I, I don't know. I, I don't buy any of that stuff. I think, uh, you know, I think you just have to get lucky. Um, 
you know, I do know. Uh, I do have. You a have to of... have like a machine gun. Machine gun, flamethrower. Yeah, yeah. flamethrower. <laughs> I mean, not funny to flamethrower, but to actually do that to dogs. But unless they were really attacking your family and you had a flamethrower, that would be an effective way to stop them. And that's a great yeah. point. Or if the dog is racist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which, um, Which many are. So mm-hmm. final final scores on this film. Boom. Uh, no, I, 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 I will give this film... Boy, I don't know. This 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 is a tough one for me because I on one hand I respect this film kind of a lot for for a lot of what it's doing, but I did ultimately find it to be a film that I wouldn't really actually ever recommend anyone. You know, I would never ever urge anyone to sit down and watch the Doberman Gang for for essentially any reason, unless unless they were interested in seeing the director of She Freak uh, act in a movie and, and be quite good in it. Um, but I would give so if in other words, I'm forced to give this uh, one and a half pause out of three. Interesting. Interesting. I would co- Wait, totally Simon. recommend. Okay. Sorry. I would totally Sorry. recommend this movie. Um, it's the, I think, I think this might be my favorite movie we've watched for Cinemanimals or Cinemanimals Nights. Wow. I really liked it. It didn't, it's the first movie in a very long time that we've watched that didn't hurt or make me feel like I was going to lose my mind. Uh, and on those grounds, I give it uh, six out of six dog whistles. Mm. Wow. I'm with Mike. I'm with Mike. I, I mean, well, I don't know if I would, I would probably recommend it. I mean, there's a lot. Um, I really enjoy, I really, at no point was I watching it thinking this is boring. I don't want to watch this anymore. Um, th- this movie is terrible, which is like, those are often thoughts I do have when watching these mm-hmm. movies. Totally. Didn't have that. Uh, so I would give it five out of six Doberman because at the end of the movie, we're left with five out of six Doberman. Um, and so, and it just misses, it just misses being a six out of six because it just, it just goofs the ending so badly. But other than that, it had, you know, I love, I love, I love seventies, really this like perfect seventies style of film from the music to the cinematography. It was a sweet spot for me. Are you doing the math, Mike? Yeah, that's uh, that's 12.5 out of 15, which is going to amount to five out of six. Checks out. Yeah, it's an 83%. Okay, wow. that's pretty good. That actually is a Hall of Famer. Wow. So that's that's a Cinnamanimals Knights Hall of Fame. We welcome the Doberman Gang, 1972. Now that we're monthly, it does feel like my extra critters pile up. Mm. Um, and and uh, so I did I did have some extra critters. That's a ridiculous sentence. <laughs> <laughs> I did have some extra critters this weekend, uh, of course. Um, and I know Mikhail did as well. Yes. Uh, I went to, uh, yesterday, I went to the Los Feliz 3 to see a, a 35 millimeter print of the 1954 giant ant movie, Them, which oh, I hadn't yeah. seen since I was a kid. Um, minimal animal content, uh, very limited real ants on screen, mm-hmm. uh, but kind of an interesting movie. I, I, in retrospect, I feel like it kind of influenced Shin Godzilla and a lot of other movies that I enjoy, and that it's mostly about like the bureaucratic difficulties of dealing with a giant ant invasion. Um, and, and I, I did kind of find that pleasurable. Um, and it's, you know, I think it's regarded as a classic, of course. And I also watched on the new Shaw Brothers set. Oh, so have, have you guys seen them? No, no, no. It's come up in my research as a possibility, but no, I've never seen it. Have either of you seen, uh, the, uh, the 19, I think 77 Hong Kong movie, the mighty Peking man. 
nope, nope, nope. <laughs> then the new Shaw Brothers set. So, that, so when Dino De Laurentiis was putting together his King Kong remake in the 70s, like a lot of movies that were kind of marketed for international audiences, regardless of the film's ultimate success, it they kind of spawn these international fads of like Italian and, and you know, just ripoffs in other countries. Um, and this was kind of, I guess, in response to that, Mighty Peking Man, which Tarantino actually released in the US in 1999. It had come out in the 70s as I think Gigantis. Um, it's just basically a King Kong ripoff with a giant gorilla, uh, mm. the Mighty Peking Man. Um, but it's great. It's got a lot of scenes of like mm. leopards and, you know, it's got a scene, unfortunately, that's probably real of a leopard fighting a snake. But because um, it is a Hong Kong movie of that era, so there does seem to be real animal violence in it. However, it is a top-notch animal film, uh, and I do recommend. And then lastly, I went to theaters to see a modern movie. I went to see the documentary *The Velvet Queen* about a wild, a French wildlife photographer uh, following a snow leopard, and uh, I thought that was nice. It had, that has a lot of animals in it. You get to see a palace cat. Great animal content. Is, but we don't right. i want to be clear on cinema animals we don't we don't do documentaries no that's why i mentioned it do. very briefly yeah no docs yeah i mentioned it really briefly <laughs> we don't do docs don't there, there there are there are a lot of great animal documentaries that i you know if our podcast yeah, did cover not, that nope i don't even want to not, talk about it i don't even want to talk about okay. that Mikhail. don't even okay. don't even no, bring it okay up. sorry <laughs> uh Mikhail, i think i think you watched an episode cricket critters this week I, I had three. I had three. I watched um, The Dog Father, which is a kind of a classic wheelhouse 2010 movie with Chris Parnell, family movie. It's on Tubi. Um, involves a, a, a bulldog that's in the mob that escapes, that has swallowed a, a ring. Uh, it has, it doesn't have a dead parent, but you know, it has like Chris Parnell who plays the father's like, doesn't like the dog but the whole family loves the dog. So it has that drama. Uh, it has the dog trying on lots of costumes. Um, it has the dog like only eats spaghetti and meatballs because it's Italian. Mm. Um, it, you know, it, it, my kids liked it. Even my wife liked it. It was, it was as far as these annoying family animal movies, uh, this one holds up. It's called The Dog Father. The Dog Father. Um, I watched the Shaggy DA, which is on Disney Plus, classic older film, which I watched because I came across a clip of uh, of the dog like punch, like a right hand punch, and I just loved the way that they they have a, a man in a dog costume, but they only cut to that every now and then. It's like a real dog, but then in certain scenes, like when the dog punches someone, it's a man in a dog costume. Very effective. So um, I, I want to interject very briefly and say that I used to love that movie as a kid. Um, I, I, I've, I've probably seen the Shaggy DA 20, 30 times. And, I, and oddly, I have also kind of never seen the original The Shaggy Dog, uh, which huh. I, I don't think I have. I, for some reason, my family had like a VHS copy of The Shaggy DA, like when we had a VCR <laughs> and like a TV. And so I would watch it all the time. And I've, but I've never seen the original it is a sequel, I believe, to the Shaggy Dog, which was a big hit for for Disney, of course. Yeah. And uh, but the Shaggy DA is is the one that I'm aware of as well. It, it um it has a great premise where like this guy he tells his wife that um what if someone rings if someone reads oh it also has a ring kind of like the Dog Father 
if someone reads the inscription on the ring, he will turn into a dog. And he tells his wife that very sincerely. And it's true. And he keeps kind of turning back and forth into a dog. Then he's not a dog. Um, both the dog father and the shaggy DA have like very stereotypical bumbling uh, Italian gangster bad guys, yes. Um, yes. which, you know, very much a trope for this kind of thing. I want to see the shaggy dog, the original one. Yeah, I'm kind of interested to see it. Well, maybe we'll do it for uh, for the show. And what was your uh, what was your third uh, extra cricket critters? Third was the cat, which if you follow uh, Deadly Prey on Instagram, he does these online virtual screenings every Tuesday night of really bad films. I watched another movie of his once um, that he showed, the one where uh, Alice Cooper, the dog movie with Alice Cooper. That is called Monster Dog. That one I also watched, um, but this is the cat. And Simon, you probably know more about this movie than I do. I know it was directed by the guy that did the story of Ricky. I think, yeah, has, it's pretty much not a great movie, but it has like some exciting, cool scenes of of violence and action, and a lot of fire and a lot of like. I mean, it's a pretty insane movie. The cat does not figure that prominently into the story, but. It's called the cat, and it does have a cat in it. Well, what it does have is one of the best fight scenes in like animal oh. cinema. Oh my god! Duh. Yes. Oh my god. Sorry. That's that's why that's noteworthy. Yes. Thank you, Mike. This did is, you watch? I did you, I've seen, did I've you seen watch it many times? I didn't watch I, it. No. Watch. I sent you a YouTube. They have it on YouTube of just the clip okay. of this dog fighting a cat in a junkyard, and it's staged. <laughs> it's staged like a Van Damme fight scene, like okay. like the technical uh difficulty of what these animals are doing in the fight and it goes on for a long time <laughs> they're not just like rolling around growling they're like pulling levers and jump i mean it's crazy it's it that's yes thanks for okay. saying that simon i'll watch it yeah yeah this this film is actually directed by one of my favorite hong kong directors uh, I'm, I'm probably gonna butcher his name here uh guy Choi lam he directed not only story the famous story of ricky uh, which everyone knows from like the Daily Show clip, uh, but also great uh, Chai Yim Fat, a uh, Wesley film called The Seventh Curse, which has like a big monster mash. And, mm -hmm. and kind of like his movies, the reason I love them is they always go uh, just that extra step into craziness. And The Cat is, a, is another yeah. Wesley film. Uh, he also did Erotic Ghost Story, which uh, 88 Films uh, uh, released a lovely edition of last year. And uh, yeah, so Deadly Prey, who does these screenings, this is our buddy TJ, shout out to TJ. If you're not listening to this podcast, you're not a friend. You're right that The Cat is kind of almost an unexceptional film, except for this incredible knockdown drag out uh, fight sequence between a cat and a dog in a junkyard, which is one of my favorite, like, and I say this without any exaggeration, one of my favorite fight scenes in all of cinema. I'd put it up there with the best <laughs> of like Jackie Chan. I mean, it really is like an incredible sequence. And then it has a great monster, goo gooey, crazy monster at the end yeah. as well, which is, which was kind of kind of his thing. And I, I love, I, 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 again, The Seventh Curse, The Cat, Story of Ricky, uh, you know, those are actually like, I think three classics. Um, I, I hope to see more of his films in the future. <laughs> uh, and uh, The Cat the was in 19, weird... 1992. Uh, so like the same time that like we were making, you know, like Terminator 2 and, you know, Jurassic Park over here, that, like special effects are getting pushed in that direction. Uh, and I think that's better. Yeah. I'm really I mean, excited to watch yeah. this. I mean, the yeah, cat I, has yeah. also a lot of scenes of, um, there's a lot of books. There's a lot of scenes where guys are surrounded by like stat, like stacks that are like 10 feet tall of lots of books. And then 
the books get destroyed. I don't know why that's in the movie, but Mike, since you're into books, you might like that. Oh, wow, that is music to my ears. <laughs> my favorite thing about the cat is that, so the character Wesley or Wisely, who's in all these kind of old stories, you know, there's a lot of novels uh, about him that have been adapted into various kind of, you know, science fiction fantasy films. Um, but my favorite thing about the cat is he's played by actor Wisely. Uh, so who's a great actor, uh, was in a, a number of films, including A Better Tomorrow. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I, 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 I just really like that Wisely plays Wesley. That's cool. All right, whatever. You know what? I, I find happiness in fall, small little places in this really world, and I don't need you guys. <laughs> you know what? Forget it. Um, I have, oh, a, I have an extra Cricky Critter. Oh. Um, I don't know if it qualifies. It's a, I'm going to call it a real-life extra Cricky Critter. Um, I well, know documentaries don't qualify, but I'm not sure if real-life encounters qualify. Okay. Well, I know we have some breaking news and from Philadelphia. Is, is that what um, you're going to talk about? Yeah, so in my home state of Pennsylvania, as, as you guys know, um, out in uh, like central or western PA, a dump truck collided with a tractor trailer that was full of monkeys, uh, live monkeys in crates. And there were 100 such monkeys and they scattered all over the turnpike. And um, initially the first news story said that there was one missing. Now I told you guys all this, what I didn't tell you because I didn't want you to worry is that MJ and I were actually out in Ohio and we had to drive home <laughs> through the very town where the one missing monkey was loose. <laughs> my God. Oh, my God, um, wow. Now, luckily what happened is we got snowed in in Cleveland. So we couldn't leave on Sunday like we intended. We uh. had to stay over until Monday. By the time we left on Monday, they had captured the final monkey and order was restored. Cinema animals, cinema animals, cinema animals.